uh, I want to ask you to pray for Generate, uh, especially on February 18th. They're going to kick off a series that deals with spiritual warfare, and uh, we need to pray over that because a lot of the students are being drawn into that, and uh, we've got to understand that that's very real, and, and it's something that needs to be attacked, and they're going to do it in a way I think that will really get students to understand, get next generational people to understand that, uh, hey, you've got to stay away from that. You've got to cling to the truth of Jesus Christ, and so they're going to be dealing with that. I'd like to have you turn to 1 John chapter 2. While you're turning there, I want to go to prayer, and I want to pray for Wednesday nights, February 18th, remember that kicks off, but I also want to pray for something else. Uh, uh, we um, had a part of our family members get hit this week, and uh, it is emotional in a lot of ways, and what happened is uh, the Chino Police Department, uh, um, they were involved in a shootout at a Papa John's Pizza, and two men went to rob the place, and they were called in and ended up being a shootout. They ended up killing both the perpetrators, but, but an innocent bystander was killed too. And, uh, you know, Stan Stewart's a member of our body. He's the chief of police there. A lot of other chief Chino police officers are here. They put themselves on the line, and Stan was just grieving because he, he doesn't want, an officer got hurt, but he's going to be okay. But Stan said, this is just, we never want this to happen. And, and so he, after the last service, was emotional about it. I mean, it just hits hard. And you know what is, uh, the man who, uh, the police officer who was injured is a Christian brother. He attends a church near here. It's a sister church. And it's just like, oh. And so all of you who are in law enforcement, man, we value you. We know what it means. We're living in a world where crime, I mean, can you imagine three people die over robbing a Papa John's? There's just something wrong with that. It's wrong, period. But you know what is, is I want us to pray for the Chino Police Department in particular, for all law enforcement. I want to pray for today. I want to pray for what's going on in the spiritual realm. Let, let's just go to God in prayer. Father, we pray and ask that today you would be guide, Lord, um, this time we're about to have, and, and even our prayer time now, Lord. I pray you would, first of all, be with uh, all our law enforcement people, the men and women who, who really are so uh, willing to put themselves in harm's way very often or to try to enact justice. And, and, and God, sometimes it seems like a thankless job, but we know, we know, God, that you see them, and especially the Christians who are doing that, you see their hearts. And we ask for your protection and your wisdom to be visited upon them. And God, I want to pray in particular for the Chino Police Department and the, and the pain that's there, the agony that's there, the desire, Lord, to, to do the right thing. And also, Lord, that we just pray for protection. So be with Stan, be with every Chino Police officer, be with those who are in support staff and, and touch them. And I pray for the family, Lord, that lost their son and, and, and that you would just comfort them too. And, and I know the agony they've got to be experiencing now when a, a young boy goes to a McDonald's and, and then this happens because of two people who just decided to do something so wrong. Lord, I want to pray that you would be with our Generate ministry and I pray your Holy Spirit would surround them and protect them and, and as they get ready literally to attack the gates of hell and, and God, I pray that there would just be a movement from you to watch over them in that. And I want to pray for our time. God, help us to be who you created us to be. Help us to understand this amazing life we're called to live. And I pray that we grab that and grasp that today in a way that would make so much sense. May we truly be found to be faithful. May we be found to be your true followers, Jesus, your disciples. And, and may we want that and crave that and live that in Jesus' name. Amen. First John 2 is where you need to be. Um, 
we this week hosted that spiritual growth conference, and it was an amazing time, and, and a lot of good discussion, some even a little bit of disagreement, which made things even better. Uh, but here's a question that popped out, and, and I'm going to go all over the place, so, so get ready with this. Um, the question was this, how do you know if someone's growing spiritually? If our goal is spiritual growth, then, well, what does that look like, and what does that mean? And we spent a lot of time talking about that. I, I'm going to tell you my answer. You don't have to go with mine, and, and I, but I want to give you what I came up with. And here's what I think it is. I think that spiritual growth has two parts to it. We know we're doing it. We know what's happening when, number one, we're becoming more and more intimate with Jesus. We're growing closer to the Lord. And we're focusing on him, and we realize that our relationship with him is being strengthened, being deepened, and I think that's number one. Uh, number two, are you ready for this? When we are also becoming like Christ. Uh, the whole idea that, that as we behold him, it says in 2 Corinthians, that when we behold the Lord, that we're transformed from glory to glory into the very image of the Lord, and so we begin to take on Christ's likeness. And, and that's the whole idea of what we're supposed to do. Now, now let me go to a whole something else, and we're all going to tie this together, uh, uh, but grab this. We're in a series called Level 4, and if you haven't been here, Level 1 is where someone's exploring about the ideas of Christianity. They may believe Jesus is real, they may believe there is a God, they may believe the Bible's true, but, but they're still asking, should I invest my life in this? Should I throw myself into this? Am I ready to take this seriously? And that's level one, and, and maybe they don't even know that Jesus is true. They're just wondering about spiritual things, so they're exploring. Level two is where I finally reach a place of conversion. I, I open up to Jesus as we saw in, in Acts 15, if you read today, uh, our hearts are cleansed by faith and it's the grace of Jesus that comes and, and we're embraced into him. And now here's the point, a conversion takes place. The old me is gone. I'm born again and, and now I'm ready to live this new life. And so I enter into that new lifestyle and conversion. Level three, this is where I'm connecting with God. God and I are connecting together, and we're going to talk about ways that we can do that more effectively, but, but it's a, a time of deepening that intimacy through true interaction with the Lord. But then level four is where we want every single person in this church family to be. It's not, by the way, a maturity issue. It's not an ability issue. It's an availability issue. It's a commitment issue. And level four living is where I say to the Lord, I, I just want your will, not mine, to be done. I want to live my life for you completely. I want to be sold out to you, Lord. Now, now, let me say some things about this, and then I'm going to get into something super important. So this is kind of important. Then we're going to go super, ready? So kind of important, this isn't perfection. Now, now, too often what happens is we go, well, the person up here, man, I could never be that. I hope every one of you are that. And you might say, but I'm not perfect. Well, if you're here, you're going to be more aware of your imperfections than ever. When the closer I get to Jesus and see the holiness of who he is, the more I'm amazed that he loves me, and the more I'm amazed at, at the things in my life that need to change. And, and spiritual people aren't people who are walking around, you know, holier than thou. They're walking around very aware that it's only by the love of God and the grace of God that we can make it, but also we see some areas that need to change and we allow the Lord to work on that. And so it's not about perfection. Now this is where you read, that was the important, super important. This is like, even if you don't listen to anything else today, grab this one, get this, really, please. Being at level four it is not about doing. If we focus on the doing, the focus becomes on us. You see, that's the problem. If I go, okay, well, what do I have to do to be here? You are going to have to do some things to be here. There are some works in the Christian life, some energetic 
state uh, times we throw energy into things. But if I focus on me, I've missed the whole point. I want to focus on something else. I want to focus on being. It's not on doing. The focus is on being. It's on being with Jesus. It's on being a follower of Christ. Uh, being a disciple of Christ. Remember that Jesus said to people, follow me. That was the call into discipleship. Uh, Jesus said that when you're a disciple, your goal is to be like him. And so you know what Jesus said? He said, you know what? A disciple, he said, it's enough for a disciple to be like his master and for a pupil to be like their teacher. That's the goal. And the more I get around him and study him, he starts to transform me. So it's about a being. It's about being with Jesus, being a follower of Christ, being a disciple of Christ, and don't miss this one, ready? It's about being obedient. It's about being obedient. You see, I don't want you to miss that. Uh, it, it just seems odd and strange to me that people, whenever they hear that, they act like that's some foreign concept. And deep down, we all know that if you're going to say you want to follow Jesus, that means you have to be obedient to Jesus. As, as the Lord of your life, as the one who knows better, as the one who loves you more than you can ever imagine. Dallas Willard uh, is a professor at University of Southern California, and, and Professor Willard was with us this week. He was one of the best parts of the week, and it was a great week. But, but he's going to be here next Sunday preaching. And, and he's a phenomenally dedicated Christian man. He's a, a, one of the people we look to about the spiritual disciplines. But, but Professor Willard said something that just blew us away. He said, where, where in the Bible is this theology that I can have a, a relationship with Christ and not obey his commandments? Where is that in the Bible? And he said, yet all over, he's hearing that over and over again. And, and it is not what Jesus taught. It's not what his disciples taught. Look at 1 John chapter 2. And look what it says here, starting in verse 3. By this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Did you catch that? How do you know you really have come to know him? Well, John's going to give many ways, but this is one. It's not the only one, but it's one. How do we really know someone's come to know the Lord? They keep his commandments. Now notice what it goes on to say in the next verse. It says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Did you grab that? You see, it really is about being obedient. And we can't hold back on that. And, and this idea, you know, of this, this lukewarm Christianity, this half-hearted Christianity, it, it's not what God calls us to. And God says to you and me, he says, I want you to come and follow me. I want you to live with me. I want you to walk in the spirit. And you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Yeah, you're going to stumble and fall. But the truth of the matter is, you need to live this life of an all-out commitment. And we saw that Jesus, Jesus said last week, and I don't know if you caught it. I hope you did. Did you realize last week I basically just read the words of Jesus to everybody? And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not love me more than all, more than everyone, anyone, anything, if you don't love me first, he said, you cannot be my disciple. That's the words of Jesus. He said something else. That there's three things, the three cannots. You cannot be my disciple if you won't die to self. If you won't put yourself into third place or fourth place in your priority list, selfishness has to go. Self-absorption has to be taken away. And if you're not willing to die to yourself, you cannot follow me. And then the third one is this, you cannot be my disciple if you won't give up everything that you have. 
And, and, and so, you know, that's the bottom line. And, and so what is Jesus saying? He says, if you're going to be my disciple, you must love me more than anyone or anything. You must love me more than self. And you must love me so much that you don't let anything else own you. You would give everything to me. And, and Jesus wasn't kidding. And, and by the way, that's, that's the truth of, of what we're calling people to. It's an all-out commitment to Christ. And nowhere in the Bible are we told to make Christians. Nowhere. But we are told to make disciples. And it says in Matthew 28, it says, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe part of what I told you. No, 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 all that I commanded you. All, it's all out commitment. And you don't see anything else in there. Uh, look over at 1 John chapter 5 real quick with me and look what it says here when it talks about this whole idea because we should want this. Look at verse 3, 1 John 5, 3. It says this, it says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. And I want you to grab that. It, it, he said, if you really love me, it's not a burden to do this. Uh, uh, you know, I love my wife, Pam, and, and, and I don't walk in the house going, oh, okay, I got to kiss her. It's not a burden to kiss her. Maybe it's a burden for her to kiss me. <laughs> but, you know, you know it's, it's, I don't go, oh, what a burden I have to be faithful to my wife. Oh, what a burden I have to enjoy life with her. I mean, I want to do those things. So I want to be romantic, although I've kind of blown it big time. Real quick, I set a goal this year to be extra romantic to Pam, and I ruined it in one week. But, uh, uh, but you know what? It's not about perfection. Anyway, uh, so, so see, here's the thing is that, you know, you don't see it as a burden. I don't see it as a burden to spend time with the Lord. I don't see it as a burden to pray, do you? Do you go, oh, I got to pray and spend time with Jesus? No, it's anything but that. And we need to understand that if we love him, we want to be with him. The Bible calls being with him abiding. We want to abide with him. And, and that's the whole key here. Jesus said, you need to abide with him, John chapter 15, because apart from him, you can do nothing. You can't really accomplish anything that matters in life of significance unless you're going to do it with him. Why? Because that's what you were created for. And that's where the energy and the effectiveness comes, one, comes from. Look what it says back at 1 John 2 verse 6. It says this. I actually look at uh, chapter 2 verse 4. We'll just pick right up. It says this. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, the in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. In other words, if I say I really am in this abiding relationship with Jesus, then I got to live my life the way he would live it. I got to walk the way he'd walk it. And the more I do that, the more I'm transformed and changed because my focus isn't on me, my focus is on him. And I don't walk around talking about what I do or what I gave up. I, I talk about what I, I'm experiencing with him. And the more I focus on the Lord, it, transformation takes place. And I begin to understand amazing things. But to be there, I cannot love anyone more than him. I cannot love myself more than him. And I cannot have any of my possessions considered mine in his eyes. They're all his. And, and, and it needs to be an all-out, 100% committed relationship to him. Look what it says over in 1 John 3, verse 6, and look at this. About abiding with him, being with him, it says, No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or know him. Now, I really wanted to take time with this because I've had people all the time read that and go, Oh, oh I have sinned. 
I mean, what do I do with that? And I always tell them, oh, you mean you sinned after you got baptized? I say, yeah. I say, well, it doesn't, baptism doesn't count for that. You're going to hell. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> it really, by the way, that's super important to know that's not true. But, but what is this verse saying then? Well, you need to actually understand what John is doing in the whole context of the book of John, but even more what that Greek word means. That Greek word sins there is what's, it's a verb, and it's in the indicative mood. It's indicative. And what that means, it's a statement of fact. So this is a factual statement he's making. But it's also in the present tense, which means it's continuous. So the word isn't saying a one-time sin. It's not saying that, you know, now that you've come to know him, if you sin in that moment, that's it. You know, the idea is that you're continuing in the sin. No one who really knows him continues in the sin. And then the last part of what's interesting about that verse, or that word, it's in the active voice. It's something you do, not done for you. And so what the word is literally saying, if it's taken correctly in context, is no one who abides in him chooses to keep on sinning. We don't choose to keep on sinning. Now, does that mean we don't have a battle to fight? Well, we may have some battles to fight. We may have some changes to make. We have some victories to win. But the problem is, very often, we have to be understand what Jesus sings. If you really know me, you're going to want to not do that anymore. You're going to desire not to have that be true of you anymore. And it's not about perfection, but it is about an attitude of saying, Jesus, I want to be with you. But the Bible also tells us when we are truly in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the lust of the flesh. And we need to grab that. Now look what it says in 1 John 2, verse 28. Go back just a little bit. It says this. Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. You know, it's interesting that Adam and Eve, they sinned, they blew it. I'm going to share some things in a few weeks about Adam and Eve that I think may be very enlightening to you, but God loved and cared for them. He, he wanted to bless them. He wanted to be intimate with them, and they blew it. And the first thing they did is they ran and hid from God. The first thing they did is tried to not let on that it happened. And, 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 and see, whenever someone sins, typically what we do is we run away, not run to. If you're a follower of God, he wants you to run to him. He wants you, and we're going to talk towards the end about how this transparent life is a part of the discipled life where we really want to be close to him. But the problem was they ran away from him. But Jesus wants to have it when he appears that you're so excited he's coming and you're not ashamed of what's going on in your life. And, and, and you're able to say to him, Lord, I've been so honest with you and I worship you in spirit and truth and, and I want this intimacy with you. And that's God's great desire for you. He wants you to have it. Turn over to John chapter 8. While you're turning there, I want to do a quick uh, uh, addition to the message. I, I've been praying a lot about this, and, and I, I, a, a, I want to address what I have a concern. See, I'm concerned there might be some of you today who walked in here, and you're saying, okay, Chuck, you're talking about all-out commitment. You're talking about living completely for the Lord. You're talking about, you know, literally transformation that just is all to total and, and just, just a revolutionary kind of life. And i got to be honest. I, I, I am so drained. I am so tired. I mean, when you talk to me about, you know, getting in the word, I mean, I'm getting up in the morning and I have never been more depressed. I have never found myself more downcast. The economy's killing me. I've got dysfunction in my family. It seems like if I take another hit, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I don't know if this is for me. Well, let me tell you what I really think Jesus is going to say to you. He's going to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for now yours is the kingdom of God. In other words, you could not be more ready for this. 
The word blessed means to be so joyous you can't contain it. You just let it out. And Jesus said, because the economy is hitting you and because maybe sickness is struck and because you've been disappointed and because you're not sure what brings tomorrow and you're saying, I don't know if I can make it. And the Lord says, good, because I want you to know I can make it and I'll carry you through it. You've never been more ready for the kingdom of God. And, and you see, that's the point. And Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Lord says, I know you're hurting, so get up here and let me do this with you. Don't focus on your problems. Don't focus on how may, bad you might have messed up. You know what Jesus says? Look at me. And I want to instill the kingdom of God in you. I want to show you the right way of living. I want to give you joy that's so incredible that it's inexpressible. I want to give you a peace that wipes us out. Now that you think you can't do it, maybe more than ever, you'll discover the secret of how Jesus will do it in you. That's the first thing. There's another group of people I'm concerned about today. I'm concerned about some of you that have been hurt. You know, I, I mean, there's no doubt that you're coming in and you're saying, man, I don't know if this, I mean, I, I've been backstabbed. I've been hurt. I mean, and, and maybe the word hurt doesn't even describe it, man. I've been torn to the depths of my soul. And I'm looking at that saying, okay, well, what's that got to do with me? You know what Jesus is going to say to you? Yeah. Blessed. Yeah, there you go. No, I love it. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because he wants to comfort you. You see, this doesn't, you, the fact you're hurt or the fact that you're not sure you can make it, that's not, the whole point is, again, we don't look at self, we look at him. We, we say, God, I, I want it by your strength. I want it by your power. This is the idea of grace. I've been hurt. And, and remember, we say this all the time, but it's so true. Jesus did not die just for your sins. He died for the pains that were afflicted against you also. It's both. The times you were hurt, he said, I died so that I could cleanse that and take that away. And the Lord says, come live this life with me where I begin to take over. And outward circumstance isn't what drives you. Uh, uh, I don't know if you were reading in Acts recently, but it says that what happened is a great persecution rose against the church. And what's the next line it says about it? So they were filled with joy. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> you know? I mean, they said they were filled with joy because they experienced the kingdom of God. See, that's what's so incredible about living this way. It's what you were made for. It's what you were made for. So if we're going to understand discipleship, we've got to understand the big six. Now, you're going to probably say, okay, what are the big six? The three cannots, that you cannot be my disciple if you don't love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. You cannot be my disciple if you won't die to self. You cannot be my disciple if you won't give up all you own. That's the first three. Now, the next one is the proofs of discipleship. You've got to grab hold of those three. And we're going to get into one of those today. John chapter 8, verse 31. What is it that really shows someone to be a disciple? Look at this in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if... You continue in my word, then you are disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Did you grab hold of that? This is the, 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 the culminating moment. Jesus said, all right, if you're really going to be serious about this, and you want to have this be for real, then you've got to continue in my word. And that's what he wants you and I to grab hold of, is that we've got to grab ourselves and get involved in the word and have the word of God be in us, and, and it transforms us. Uh, Joshua. Uh, I was getting ready to uh, have to take on uh, a leadership uh, 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 position and the issues that went with it that were overwhelming. He wasn't sure he could do it. And, and God appears to Joshua and tells him something. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. 
It goes, now are you ready for this? You shall meditate on it day and night so that, so that why? So that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Did you catch what the Lord said? He said, you're about to go into something that's so immense, so incredible, so amazing. What do you need? You need my word. You need to be in my word and you need to have my word in you. You need to be meditating on it day and night. And you need to be careful to do according to all that's written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. It really is true that God did not in any way create you to be a failure. You know, God didn't create the whole world. He goes, hey, I need a new fail few failures here. Oh, I'll make you. And, uh, and you walk around and you're the one. No, God made you to live an amazing, incredible, significant, successful life. And his desire for that to happen is nourished and inspired and instilled through his word. And you and I need to be people who are in the word of God every single day. Now, now that's my belief. I really believe that when, when it says day and night, that you and I need to be spending time with the Lord in his word every day. And, and you know what? As I were trying to get people to do it, uh, I love journaling. You don't have to love journaling. You don't even have to journal. But somehow you have to be in it. Now, I need to tell you this. You ready? Uh, Dallas Willard's going to come next week, and he's going to tell you that he doesn't agree with me on that. Now, and I, I, Professor Willard's awesome, so let me tell you what he's going to say ahead of time. He's going to say to you that in our society and some of your lifestyle, to be in the Bible every single day, you know, 30 minutes a day, 40 minutes a day, that that probably isn't going to work for you. So what you need to do, since you can't do that, is you need to carve out six hours on a Saturday to be with God. <laughs> when I heard that, I thought, you'll all be in the Word every day. No one's going to do the six hours, right? I, but, but here's his point. His point is, you better have some quality time with God. And it really isn't about the number of hours. It's about being with the Lord day and night, about spending the day with him, about sharing with him. But it's about being in his word and having the word to be in us. We need to do that. We need to make that happen. If you want to be a level four person, you've got to have that happen in your life in a way that's incredible. Could you imagine me walking up to Pam going, oh man, having to spend 30 minutes with you, that's just too much, Pam. You, you wouldn't do that to anybody. Do you ever look at your kids go, oh, 30 minutes? What some of you do. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I heard a guy, this, I'm getting way off target. This guy said, I want to tell you something. I am so sick of church people because you know what you do? You bring your kids to church and you drop them off in the children's ministry and you know what you're doing. You've just turned that into a juvenile detention center. You know? <laughs> okay, I thought it was funnier than you did. But anyway, uh, the whole idea though is that we need to be in God's word and we need to long for God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Did you catch what he said there? He said, I want you to lay aside all that stuff that's not good for you. And I want you to long for God's word. I want you to crave it. Uh, uh, Pam was out of town all last week. And so... Uh, she wanted me to. I called uh, Talia and Ricky, and I said, hey, can we have the kids on Friday for just a little bit? We've missed them. And, and so they dropped them off at our house. And, and so here's Noah, you know, who's not even two yet, and, and Maya, who's not even a year, and we're getting to play with them and have a great time with them. And, man, we're just so excited about it. And then I get my time with Maya, and, and, and Maya, oh, this girl blows my mind because she, she copies my laugh. When I walk up to her, she'll go, ha, ha, ha. 
like that. It's just so funny. And, and I'll hold her, and she'll look at me and go, ha, ha, ha. And I think, and see, I love to teach her stuff like that. And I also like to teach her to spit her food, which her mom hates. But I think it looks cool because <laughs> I don't live with it. Anyway, and uh, so, so Maya's just kind of out there, and she's cuddling and hugging. And, and I'm sitting with her, and I'm playing with her. And she literally does her ha, ha, ha thing. And I'm going all excited. And then all of a sudden, she starts going, ah, ah. It's like this demonic growl. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to cast that out. I mean, it's like, what is this? And what happened is she had looked into the kitchen and saw Pam getting her food out. And all of a sudden, she could have cared less about me. All of a sudden, the ha, ha, ha guy's not fun anymore. And she's just, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah. ha. And I set her on the ground, and she can't crawl, so she's rolling towards the kitchen because she wants the food so bad. And you know what? That's how we ought to be towards God's word. I mean, we really should. We need to be craving this, longing for this, wanting this, and can't wait to get it. And, and you know, we really ought to walk into church and everybody go, ah, ah, open the word, open the, you know, and, uh, and that's what we should be doing. And, and the problem we have very often, though, is that's not what's going on. If it were right, Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. He said, oh, when I get into this, I, oh, I cry, it's the joy, and, and, and let's, let's get super honest. I'm not trying to lay guilt, let's, but I just, we got to talk about it. There's a lot of people who are here, a part of our family. God loves you. You love the Lord, but you look at this and go, I don't know. I mean, you, nobody really wants to say it, but there, there are people who think it. Really? Huh. I just read that Leviticus thing. I don't know about cutting up the, fa- you know, I, uh. And, and, and here's the thing, is that I know there might be some sections of Scripture that are a little bit of a struggle, but the overall Scripture is so amazing, so easy to understand, and God wants you to get in there and crave it, and we'll help you with the other parts. But, but, but when you don't do that, it's a sign that you're malnourished. One of the most incredible things about malnourishment and, and extreme starvation is number one, uh, have you ever seen the pictures of children who have that, their bellies look like they're full, but they're not? And you ready for this? They're not hungry. Trying to get them to eat. When you're in a World Vision camp, a Compassion International camp, and a child is at that extreme measure of malnutrition, they just don't want to eat. The first few bites almost sicken them, yet they couldn't need it more. And the fact they're not craving food and wanting food is more than ever a sign that something's wrong, that they're starving. Our uh, son Tim, when he was about six years old, he wouldn't eat breakfast one morning, which shocked us. Then he went the whole rest of the day not eating, and, and we saw him start to become lethargic. And we took him to the doctor, and the doctor said he has a little bit of a fever, but it's probably nothing. Well, the next day, I mean, he is still not, and I thought, this isn't, something's big time wrong here. I don't, and I couldn't stand it. I called the doctor. I said, I'm coming in. I went down there. I demanded they see him. And we brought him in, and the doctor said, I told you it'll probably pass. And I said, you know, something's wrong. I said, you're going to have to do more. She goes, all right, we'll x-ray his chest. When they hand her the x-ray, this, she shook like this, oh, my gosh. Because his lungs, even though she had listened to him and didn't hear any rumbling, they were so filled, so packed, my son was dying in front of us. He was suffocating. And the only sign we had wasn't an elevated temperature. The only sign we had was he wouldn't eat. And we have Christians who don't want to eat. Then, then something's wrong. And we've got to help. We, got, we don't want to just live with this. We've got to have you as a follower of Christ be in his word, continue in his word. Listen to what it says in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst of water, but rather a hearing of the words of God. People will stagger. Do you see that? They're going to be so sick. They'll stagger from sea to sea and from north even to east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. If you haven't caught it, there's a famine in our land today. There really is. There's a famine in the United States today. It's a very weakened, uh, almost uh, a fake, counterfeit Christianity that floats around too much. I, don't, I hate to be negative, but we know it's true. We watch people today who say that they've been Christians all their life, and they can't quote even a little bit of scripture. They don't know when the last time they picked up a Bible was. I bumped into a woman not too long ago, and, 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 and she said, I don't have a Bible, and I never need one at church. How do you go to church and not need a Bible? And you know, I got to say this. I've been in church after church after church. I've never heard scripture quoted. And, and you know what? What's been substituting today are kind of this feel-good oriented idea. Let's get everybody together and just feel good. Well, you know what? That's not what church is. Now, certainly we want to encourage people. Certainly we want to comfort people. But the truth of the matter is we're not here to make you feel good. We're here to worship God. That's what we're about. And, and you know what? Too often... This gets left out. And uh, we've got to be people who want to crave the word of God and get nourished by the word of God and seek the word of God. It's God's great desire. It's what he wants. You know, I, I really had this happen, and I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but i got to tell you what occurred. Uh, a few weeks ago, on the same morning, I, I was walking out here, and, and, and somebody stopped me, and then uh, later on, another person would stop. It was literally the same day. And so I'm standing there, and someone said, hey, Pastor Chuck, can I talk to you a second? And I said, sure. And he goes... I just want to ask you, is there any way you can make those worship services shorter? You know, like 50 minutes long, you know, maybe you only preach for 15 minutes, you know, and, and we could, you know, and I'm looking at it, I was actually a little stunned by it, and I thought, huh, and then I walked down a little ways, and, and someone stops me and says, why did you stop today? You should have kept going and go. Of course, it was Pam, but, you know, yeah, but, <laughs> you know, but it really wasn't her, but, but you know, the, the thing is, is I know I have done something that is really, truly miraculous. I know I have walked and done here and done one of the most amazing miracles, and you've, you've been a part of it. I have actually come in here on this Sundays, and I have taken this and made it boring. That's a miracle. It really is. And I know some of you are going, amen, you've done it. And, uh, <laughs> but do you realize the Bible says it's active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword? If this is open correctly, it's anything but boring. I mean, if I pulled out a sword today and I start going through the crowd swinging at some of you, I could tell you you're going to have a lot of emotions, but boredom's not going to be one. <laughs> you're not going to go home in the afternoon and go, how was church today? Oh, it's so boring. You tried to hit me with the sword again. You know, I, that's not boring. You know what? There's a lot of other feelings. And when God's word comes out, it, sometimes it cuts and you go, oh. And sometimes it lifts you up and you go, ah. But it's, it's, it's always to be something that energizes your soul. The depths of who you are, it ignites your mind and energizes your soul, feeds your heart. And God's great desire is for that. And we need to be in the word, and we need to have the word in us, and we need to be loving it to death. Jack Hayford, who's one of my favorite pastors, Jack Hayford said that he had a dream that he woke up from and literally was crying. And uh, what happened is it was early in his ministry at Church on the Way, and and in this dream, it was so real to him, he came walking up to church, but when he walked inside, he looked out. And he saw a sea of very malnourished people that were skeletal, flesh hanging, 
some literally skeleton sitting there. And he said that God spoke to him in the dream and said, this is what happens when you don't feed my people. And he said, you know what? Our church was growing, but it wasn't growing in the right way. We just were filled with people who were dying in front of us spiritually. And he said he had to just get right with God and say, no more of this. No more of this. We got to be people who get in God's word. You see, Jesus said, if you are my disciples, you will continue in my word. And then here's what he said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, now don't miss this. Jesus also said this. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke from me. And my friends, my way is easy and my burden is light. He says, I want you to know something. When you come to me and, and you take off the things that are depressing you, you take off the things that are holding you back, you take off the things that are keeping you from being who you are, and you let me put on you my yoke, then what's going to happen is this. He says, you're going to find that that burden is easy and light, that obeying the commands of the Lord are not a burden to you anymore and that it's going to be the better way to live the righteous way to live the the amazing way to live and then when you get into this word what happens it, it opens your eyes to who you are in James chapter 1 it says the word of God is like a mirror and you take a look at it and you go oh whoa that's me Hey, have you ever done that before? You, you thought, hey, I look pretty good. And then you step in front of the mirror and go, oh. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it says, but, but God says, don't walk away and let me change you. Let me help you. And all of a sudden, you become more aware than ever. And, and the word opens your eyes to some amazing things. Let me give you an example. In Leviticus, if you were reading in there, it said this. It said, if a leader sins... What he's to do is he is to go before the priest at the tabernacle and bring an offering and, and confess his sin. And then it says he will offer the offering. And here's the phrase that's repeated over and over. And you will be forgiven. And, and then if someone, uh, a man sins, he's to go before the priest and offer his offering. And it says, and you will be forgiven. Over and over. Now, did you catch there's something going on here? If, if I blow it as a leader... God says, I'm to go before him and probably before you at times and tell you honestly what I've done. And it doesn't say, and you will be fired. It says, if you're transparent and not trying to hide it. Now notice, it's the idea of being aware of what's wrong in your life. You're transparent and not trying to hide it. Then what happens is the Lord said, you'll be forgiven. Do you catch what's going on here? God says we don't live lives pretending we're all right. We live lives that are honest about who we are. But this is the big gun hit. This is the thing that all our staff got excited about. What happens is if I have sinned or you've sinned, typically you get a one-year-old lamb. And I, have you ever done this? I've, I've cuddled one before. They just start cuddling with you almost right away. And you walk in with this unblemished lamb. And you get in front of the priest and you say, I have sinned. And you know what the priest does? He examines the lamb. He doesn't examine you. What he cares about is, is the lamb unblemished. The lamb is all that matters. Now, you're the one with the problem, but he says, no, God's going to take care of you. I just need to make sure what you're offering to him is the right offering. And then Jesus said, no more carrying a lamb. It's going to be me. I'm the lamb now. I'm the lamb of God. And what I want you to know is that when you get before God and you say, Lord, I, I blew it, the focus doesn't go to you. The focus goes on Jesus. And our focus goes on Jesus. That's what it's all about. And he says to you, you know what, you, you did, you messed up, but, but all I can do is see you through Jesus, and all I see is perfection and cleansed and loved, and that's what matters. And so when we're at level four, and we're studying God's word, it says we go before him honestly, transparently, and, and we focus on Jesus, and that truth will set you free.
See, I want to ask you today, where are you at in your commitment with your, with your walk with Christ? Can you honestly say today, can you honestly say today that you're in an intimate relationship with him? And if you're not, let me tell you this, he could not want one with you more than he does. He desperately wants to have this intimate relationship with you. He wants you to abide with him. He wants you to live with him. He wants you to experience life in an amazing way when you live for him. And today, if you've never done that, then I want to tell you what you do. You, you go to this step right here, and how do you do it? You do it by praying a prayer, and with a very sincere heart and mind, you say to the Lord, I want to give myself to you completely. I want your cleansing and forgiveness, and I want you to help me be who you created me to be and to live the life I was made to live. I'm ready for this. I want it, and here I am. Take me. Now, now, if you've never done that in a moment, we're going to lead that prayer. I'm going to have a time where I pray and stop, and I'll let you right where you're sitting whisper those words with me. But today, also, there are some of you who you already started on this journey, and something happened, and you find yourself drifting away from this amazing, intimate, loving relationship with the Lord. And, and what I want to share with you is God wants you back. And while some people today need to commit their lives to Christ, you may need to recommit. You may need to say, Lord, you know what? I don't know when I got distracted or I don't know when I did this. And I want you to know it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've been. He could not love you more than he does. And now it's time to put the focus back on him and commit yourself to him. And I want to ask you today, if you at one time were walking with Christ intimately and you're not now, I'm going to ask you to whisper that prayer with me too. So today as we go to prayer, if God stirs in you either to commit or recommit your life, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper a prayer with me. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you because you love us so much. And Jesus, we know in the knowledge of you, we have everything we need to live a successful, effective life and to have godliness be found in us. And may we focus on you. May we focus on you by looking most of all through your word and reading and knowing those truths. And I pray that today we would find this family, this church family being committed to being in your word and have your word in us. I want to ask now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit literally come and fill this room. I ask, Father, that you stir in the hearts and the minds of men today who need to commit or recommit their life to you. That you stir, Lord, in the hearts of women today who need to say yes to you. God, that you touch a guy or a girl who's sitting here and they need your love and they need to live the most amazing life ever and it's here for them and today they'd say yes to it. So we ask for your spirit to move to stir, to touch, to help. And God, I pray right now for that man who's sitting here and knows it's time. It's time. He, he's been putting it off and it's time for him to say yes. And I pray today he's ready to. And right now there's this pain in his heart and mind and he knows it's time just to say it's, this is where it gets left. This is the day to start without it. Lord, I want to pray for a person here today who, man, they just had someone just unload on them. And Lord, today you want to unload love and grace and healing. You want to eradicate that voice that's been pounding in their mind from time to time. And I pray right now they're going to find as they commit themselves to you, they're able to move forward. So Lord, we pray that you would help any man or woman, guy or girl who needs to use this time to say yes. All of you that God's touching, let's just whisper this prayer together. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. 
And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to cleanse me completely, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you have always created me to be. And to live the life that you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for all of you that prayed that prayer. Wow, praise God.